Before we uh, get rolling uh, with our message this morning, just want to give you kind of a save the date. August 12th is our end of summer splash at Windy Gap Camp. How many of you have ever been to one of our end of summer events? So at least half of you have. If you've never been to one, you need to go to one. These are really awesome opportunities just to kind of go out and have a really good time as a faith family. We do these kind of social events for a couple reasons. The first reason is it's a great opportunity for us as a faith family just to get to connect with one another uh, relationally, get to have fun, get to know each other a little bit better. We don't always get the chance to do that on a Sunday morning when there are several hundred of us, but we get out there and uh, we can kind of go deeper in our relationships with one another as a faith family. But the second reason we do events like this, and really the primary reason, is though that we can invite our family and our friends and our neighbors who perhaps are far from God, maybe they're unchurched, and it's a really safe, kind of non-threatening environment just to kind of come, have a fun time, hang out, a zip line into a lake, or go down a slide into the lake. And um, so just be thinking about, we got about a month until this event, be thinking about who can I invite? Who can I, I bring that maybe wouldn't come to a church service necessarily, but they would come to the, to the lake and eat a hamburger with me and have a, have a fun time for an afternoon uh, splashing around in the pool. So just go ahead and mark your calendar. Be thinking about who you can bring to that. We're going to do that. It's going to be a, a great time. If you're new here, we like to go through books of the Bible at New Life. We don't do that all the time, but we do it oftentimes. And so this summer, we're going through the book of Galatians together as a faith family. And so if you have your Bible, would encourage you to open it up, turn it on, head to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to camp out together this morning. If you don't know much about Galatians, it's a little letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's all about the gospel, all six chapters. It's just Paul is hammering home this idea of the gospel, and the gospel is just a word that means uh, the good news of Jesus. And so in this letter, Paul is primarily making a distinction between the gospel of Jesus, what oftentimes we'll call here at New Life the simple gospel, or the Jesus plus nothing gospel. And he's contrasting that with false gospels that attempt to either add to the simple gospel or subtract from it. And so Paul has been arguing that we cannot earn our salvation. And we cannot get into heaven by being good little boys and girls who obey and follow all of the rules all the time. And uh, this message from Paul, this simple gospel, has really struck a chord with many of you over the course of the last uh, four or five weeks in this uh, series. Many of you, several of you anyway, have put your, your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. We've seen uh, several baptized. We have several more uh, lined up to be baptized uh, in the weeks ahead. And so uh, just really exciting times here at New Life as I think people are beginning to, to grasp the, the beauty and the simplicity and the freedom of this simple gospel that Paul is proclaiming 2,000 years ago to these churches in uh, Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And so I just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're, you're kind of on the fence with all this, this Jesus stuff, this gospel stuff, and maybe you're thinking, man, I've been in church for 20 years. I've been in church for 15 years. Everybody thinks I'm a Christian. I've been a really uh, good religious boy or girl, but I've never... I've never understood the gospel. And so if you're like, man, that would be super embarrassing. Or maybe you're from a, a family that's not religious, that's not spiritual, and you're thinking, man, if I follow Jesus, they're going to think I'm just a freak. And this is going to be this weird environment in my, my home. Let me just encourage you, don't, don't ever allow fear of embarrassment to keep you away from the most important thing that could ever happen to you in your life. I would also say to you, if you are on the fence about baptism, Go ahead and get off the fence. 
Come on, come on over to this side. We promise we're, we're not going to drown you. So for, for some of you, uh, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're like, man, uh, you know, I got saved 15 years ago, and I just, I, I, I never got baptized, and that would be kind of embarrassing because I've been a Christian for so long. Or maybe you came from one of the church traditions where you were baptized as a baby, and certainly we want to affirm that that was a great sort of celebration of your parents agreeing to raise you in the Lord. But now you're an adult, and, and you want to make your faith your own. So um, just encourage you, go ahead and, and take that step of baptism. It's not going not gonna to save you, but it really, baptism oftentimes kind of cements our relationship with Christ. Right? It's kind of like sticking a, a flag in, in the mountain and saying, this is who I am. This is what Jesus has done for me. It's a really powerful moment, a really powerful experience. So if you've never done it, uh, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to be good. And so you can, you can fill that out on your Connect card, drop it off on your way out, and uh, we'll contact you uh, in the days ahead. All right, last week uh, we saw in the first half of Galatians chapter 3, Paul argues that there has always been, always, from the beginning of time, there's always been one way of salvation, there, there wasn't one way of salvation in the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago, and now there's a new way of salvation under the new covenants. Pa- Paul argues that even in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith alone. They placed their faith in the Messiah who was coming, and we now place our faith as we look back in time, we look back in history at the Messiah, Jesus, who has already come. And in this letter, Paul absolutely has crushed this idea that we in any way can work our way to God. And that's a, that's a kind of a popular misconception in our culture. Frankly, it's a popular misconception in our church culture for a lot of churches. We just think, man, if we're good people, if we do good deeds, if I'm a good little Christian boy or girl, and I, I go to church, and I pay my tithe, and I read my Bible every now and then, and I go serve at the homeless shelter on Thanksgiving weekend, I do those good things, then God is going to have to accept me on that final day when I stand before God. And Paul is saying, that, that's, not, that's not the deal. Because nobody can keep God's perfect moral law. Nobody. Nobody ever has been. Nobody ever will be other than Christ. And so as we talked about last week, we could just sit down. We're not, we don't even have to go through all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. We could just go through the Ten Commandments, right? If you think you're a good person, have you ever lied? Yeah, okay. Have you ever cheated? All right. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever coveted? Have you ever lusted after somebody that wasn't your, your spouse? Have you ever loved anything at all in your life more than, than you loved God? And all of us, if we're being, el- being, being honest, we just have to answer uh, guilty, guilty, guilty. Yes, I'm guilty of all of those things. So even, even for those of us who try really hard, even for those of us who are just kind of naturally uh, rule keepers and we like checklists, even, even for those of us who are like that, we fail miserably at following God's perfect moral law. And Paul says, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You get to God by faith in Jesus, not by working hard, not by trying to be a good person, or not even by trying to be a good religious person. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in verse 15 as Paul continues his argument by going back to the Old Testament. This is Paul writing, beginning in verse 15 of chapter uh, 3. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant or contract, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified or finalized, signed. 
Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so Paul goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. We talked about this a little bit last week. One of the most incredible narratives in the entire Bible, when God shows up to this pagan man named Abram, and he makes Abram this jaw-dropping promise. Now, Abram, if you're not familiar with that story, he's this, this guy who didn't know God. He wasn't religious at all. Abram wasn't going to church. He wasn't reading his Bible every day. He wasn't tithing. He wasn't singing in the church choir. None of that stuff that we tend to think makes us acceptable before God. And God says, Abraham, or Abram at the time, through your offspring, I'm going to bless the whole world. And Paul says that when God made that promise to Abram, he made it in the singular. Now, why is that important? He said, your offspring, as in one person, not, not plural, one person is going to come from the nation that you father, and he will be a blessing to the entire world. And Paul says that one person, that one person that God promised as an offspring to Abraham was and is Jesus. Abram hears that promise from God, and he believes. And because of his faith, he is made righteous uh, in God. Now listen, Abram had no works. Abram had no religion. Abram is saved by faith, and God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, d don't miss how, how big this is. Paul is saying that God was preaching the gospel to Abram in Genesis, Thousands of years before Jesus would even be born. God also proclaimed the gospel to Adam and Eve. If you go back and read in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And from that I want you to see this truth that Paul is just absolutely hammering home again and again in, Gen in, in Galatians chapter 3. And it's this truth. Write this down if you take notes. Jesus is and has always been the pathway to God. Not, not a pathway to God. Right? Not, not a new covenant pathway to God. In the Old Testament, people got to God by, by following religious rules and, and sacrificing animals. No, Jesus has always been the pathway to God. We can remember back in the Gospels where Jesus himself taught, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, except by me. And by faith, Abraham believed God believed this gospel, believed in this Savior who would come to be a blessing to all nations, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 17, Paul's going to explain it a little further. He says, this is what I mean. The law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, which came 430 years after Abraham does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So Paul goes, listen, 430 years before the Mosaic law, 430 years before the Ten Commandments even shows up, God was saving people by faith. God was saving people. Salvation was by faith in the coming Messiah before the law ever existed. In other words, Paul is saying the law can't save you. The law cannot save you. That was never the purpose of it. And that's kind of the second big truth that, that Paul gives us in chapter 3 here. It's this, religion can't save you, friend. Religion can't save you. Go back to the first point. Jesus is the pathway to God. Not, not religion. 
not, not following religious rules, not being a good person, not, not doing more good deeds than bad deeds. Jesus, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. And the Old Testament law that came hundreds of years afterwards didn't change God's original design to reconcile people to himself through simple faith in the Messiah who was Jesus. Paul illustrates this truth by giving us an everyday life example. Paul says, hey, look, and we understand this because we have this in our culture and society too. He says, look, a covenant, a contract cannot be changed once it has been finalized and signed. Once you sign that legal document, you can't, you can't just go change it. I remember uh, Cheryl and I, before we moved to, to Asia to serve as missionaries for, for a couple of years, we went to a, a lawyer's office, and he drafted for us our last will and testament. And uh, in that legal document, we said that whatever children God might bless us with in the future uh, would equally divide any possessions or money that we might have in the event of our, of our death. So just a, just a pretty simple, common uh, form. We signed the document, and that was that. Now, imagine if, uh, imagine if Cheryl and I died in some kind of tragic accident, and um, the lawyer called our three kids into his office and said, Hey, look, you, you guys, uh, by law, by virtue of this contract, you get all, all your parents' stuff. So you get, get home, you get cars, you get a savings account. The only thing you have to do in order to receive this stuff, to receive your inheritance, is to come and wash my car every Saturday morning. All you got to do is come and mow my yard on Sunday after church. You just got to come over uh, on the first week of every month and give me a, a good back massage. Like, that's dumb, right? We, we kind of chuckle at it. He, he cannot do that. He can't add a bunch of stuff to a legal document that has been finalized and signed. And Paul says the same thing. God gave Abraham this promise of salvation through faith in Jesus 430 years before the Mosaic Law even entered into the equation. So the Mosaic Law doesn't change the original promise to Abraham of salvation by faith in the Messiah. So the question then becomes... Uh, well, why, why the law? You ever, have you ever wondered that? <laughs> like if it, it was always by grace, it, it, it was always faith in, in Jesus from the very beginning, which Paul clearly is arguing is the case, then why did God give us the law at all? What, what's, what was the point in giving us the law at all? So Paul is going to tell us exactly why. Verse 19, he says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until, and notice this word until, as we work through the rest of this chapter, you're going to see that a lot. Until the offspring, he's talking about Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. And so Paul says, listen, the law, the old covenant, the Old Testament laws, they were given to us because of our transgressions until the promised offspring, Jesus, would come. Until Jesus showed up on the scene. So Paul's going to unpack that for us a little bit further in a second. But let's continue in verse 19. And it was put in place, talking about the Mosaic law, through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now, this is one of the most obscure, difficult to understand verses uh, in the entire New Testament. There's a, a lot of debate about what Paul meant here. I read this week that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 different interpretations of this verse. And so I, I don't know that I have it all figured out. But it seems to me that Paul is referring here to the Mosaic law. He's talking about uh, the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
If you go back in Deuteronomy chapter 33, there's a reference there to a bunch of angels who were present on Sinai when the law was given to Moses. And so Paul is saying here, listen, Moses and the Mosaic law functioned as an intermediary between God and people for a time. But the promise made to Abraham of salvation by faith through Jesus is superior because through Jesus, people have direct access to God. So Paul is simply saying, listen, the Mosaic law doesn't trump the promise of salvation through simple faith given 430 years earlier to Abraham. You guys tracking with that? Does that make sense to you? It makes my head hurt. So let's move on before my explodes up here. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? So in other words, does the Old Testament contradict the New Testament? Does the Old Testament law contradict the covenant of grace through Jesus? That's the question that Paul's posing, and others certainly were posing to him. He answers, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture, or the Old Testament law imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith or before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until, there's that word again, imprisoned under the law until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by what? By works, by law, by religion, Justified by faith. But now that faith, our Jesus, has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So Paul says, listen, the law was given for the purpose of being a guardian. For being a guardian. In, in, in Old Testament times, uh, wealthy families, wealthy Greek families, wealthy Hebrew families, they would hire what they called a pedagogue. A pedagogue, that's a Greek word that we translate guardian. And a pedagogue would care for a child from about the age of five until about the age of 16. So the pedagogue would, would take the child to school, would pick the child up from school, would help them do their homework, make sure that they were keeping their room clean. I mean, whatever a parent would have a child do, the pedagogue stepped in that place and kind of guided that child until they were about 16 years old, until that child grew up, and then they would experience freedom. They were, more, they were mature enough to experience freedom from the pedagogue. So the idea in our culture would be kind of like a, like a live-in nanny, perhaps, if you think of that, a live-in nanny, a tutor, kind of a legal guardian who's charged with caring for raising a child until the parent returns. Uh, when Cheryl and I go out of town for a few days, we typically leave our kids with uh, my parents. They, they live right here in town, and so it works out really well. And so they watch our kids until we return. Now, my parents, for that week or however long we're gone, they function as my children's guardians. They, they protect my kids. They guide my kids. They teach my kids to do the same things that I would teach my kids to do. Now, they don't become my children's parents, but they do function in a protective guardian role until Cheryl and I return. Paul is saying that was the purpose of the law, to protect, to guide until Jesus would come and set his children free. So here are a couple ways that the law benefits us as a, a guardian. And I think that, man, before we dive into this, we, we have to understand that the law was good. The law was good. See, a lot of us, I think, we have this, this, this kind of misunderstanding in our mind. We think, man, the, the law was, was bad, and thank God Jesus came, so we're not under all that stuff. The law, the law was not bad. The law was good. The law was given to us in grace, and it serves us in a couple of key ways. The first way it serves 
us is as a fence of protection. The law, the Old Testament law, serves as a fence of protection. The law was designed to restrain evil, to protect us, to protect us often even from our, ourselves. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was probably about five or six years old, uh, we moved down to Costa Rica. My parents were in language school preparing to be church planters in South America. And so I can remember uh, we would walk to school every day, and uh, we would walk past this one particular house, and it was every single day it was, it was terrifying because they had this massive German shepherd that was trained to be a guard dog. And so thank God that there, there was a fence there, but it was one of those, those fences that was kind of open, so they had the, kind of the post, but they were open. And so that dog could get most of its head out of the, out of the gate, out of the fence, and that thing would go ballistic. Every time you would walk by, that thing would just be growling at you, barking, the huge fangs, foam falling out of its mouth. I mean, just this stone-cold killer of a dog. And I remember I was just terrified, and I always thought, as a five-year-old, if that thing ever gets out, I am dead. I, I'm so dead. If that thing gets out, I'm, I'm done for. Fortunately, the owners had built a fence that restrained that dog and prevented the death and mayhem that that thing would have caused it if it ever got out. See, that fence protected me, but it also protected the dog, didn't it? Because what would happen if that dog got out and mauled a, a small child? My dad would have shot it. <laughs> that dog would have been put, put down, right? So that, that fence was grace. It was protection both for me and for that dog. And I think, again, many of us think of the Old Testament laws and we think of them as killjoys, all right, we think of all the, the laws in the Old Testament. We think of them as, as fun thieves. God just wants to rob us of everything that's fun and pleasurable in life. But listen, God has given us parameters to protect us, to, to guard us, to put a fence of protection around us. And so, for example, God gives us good gifts like food and drink to enjoy. But he puts, he puts a fence around those good gifts, doesn't he? He says, yes, enjoy food, enjoy drink, but don't be a glutton, right? Because if, if you're a glutton, there are going to be consequences that, that come. It's not going to be good for you. Don't be a glutton. Don't be a drunkard. He gives us the good gift of sex. He says, hey, listen, I, wanna, I want you to enjoy this good gift. I want you to enjoy it in the context of a loving Monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Now, why does he put those fences around us? Because he hates us? Because he wants us to be miserable? No, Paul would argue he puts those fences around us because he loves us. He knows what will allow us to, to flourish as human beings. And so he fences us in with his loving moral laws in the same way that, listen, I don't allow my kids to play in the highway. I don't. I, don't, I just don't allow my kids to play in the highway, even when they want to. Now, I want them to play. I want them to have fun. But I put laws, I put fences in their life. I put a fence of protection around them because, yes, I want them to have fun. Yes, I want them to play. But I don't want them to die in the process, right? I want them to do all of those things in safety. So the law, Paul would say, serves as a fence to protect and to restrain evil. I love the way that James Montgomery Boyce, one of my uh, favorite Bible scholars and commentary writers, he puts it this way. He says, the law is like a jailer. It has kept man locked up and therefore out of trouble till Christ, the liberator, should come to set them free. Friend, the, the law, the Old Testament is grace. 
The law is grace, it's love, it's protection. But the Old Testament law also serves us in another way, not just as a protective fence, but also as a mirror of grace. Some of you here this morning may be thinking, man, I'm doing pretty good in this whole thing called life. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person. And so, and so some of you feel really good about where you are in life and you're standing before God. And it's probably because you're comparing yourself to other people. And so for some of you, you're probably thinking, man, uh, I'm no saint, but at least I don't beat my wife like my neighbor does. Right? Are you thinking, man, I, I, I'm no saint. At least, at least I just look at porn and I, I'm not sleeping with a bunch of different people every night like my, like my boss is. Or, hey, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a perfect person, but at least I don't, whatever. You fill in the blank with whoever you're comparing yourself to in the, the moment. And God, God, knowing that we would do that, he steps in with the law and he says, no, no, here is the standard. If you want to work your way to me, here's the standard. The standard is perfect. The standard is holiness. The standard is me, not your drunk loser or of a neighbor or whoever you're comparing yourself to. So here's the law. Here's the mirror. The mirror is me. It's holiness. It's perfection. How do you stack up to that? Right? And we could just go, we could just go down through the Ten Commandments. We don't have to even get to all 600 laws in the Old Testament, do we? Have you ever lied? Yep. You ever cheated? You ever coveted? You ever lusted after somebody that wasn't your spouse? You ever stolen anything? You ever loved anything more than you love God? Like fail, 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 fail. You don't stack up. And the law serves as a mirror of grace that lets us know that, listen, we are so broken that we cannot fix ourselves. doesn't matter how hard we try. We're so broken that we cannot fix ourselves. And it reveals to us that we need a Savior to do for us what we cannot do. And that Savior, Paul says, was and is Jesus. And so the law serves as a mirror of grace that points us to Jesus as the solution to our brokenness. Our family, uh, uh, we have a dog, and uh, we're, we're dog people because we love Jesus. And... Um, <laughs> I think that God probably can love cat people as well. I'm still looking for a verse to confirm that. But we, uh, we love dogs. We have a dog, and we, we adopted, we rescued uh, a dog two or three years ago. And uh, her name is, is, is Piper. And people always ask me, oh, well, you're a pastor. You named your dog Piper. Did you name her after John Piper? No, stop stereotyping people. I didn't name her after John Piper. We just thought it was a cool name for a female dog. Um, and so she's, she, Piper is super sweet. And, uh, but she's, she's relatively big and she's very strong. And I remember a couple years ago when she was a pup, I was, uh, I was laying on the living room floor with her and, and we just, we kind of like wrestling around. I'll, I'll throw her across the room and she'll come and dive on me and we have a good time. And we were wrestling this one time and my, my cheek accidentally brushed against her, her canine. And if you've ever touched a puppy's canine, it's like a razor. (laughs) So I just barely brushed against her canine, and I immediately knew that something was wrong. Like, you're not supposed to feel cold air inside of your cheek. And I thought, this isn't good. I mean, it kind of felt like I had a zipper on my face, and somebody just unzipped it. And I was like, oh, this is not good. So uh, the first thing I did was I ran to the bathroom, and I looked in the what? I looked in the mirror. See, I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew that I needed a mirror to show me what was wrong. 
And after seeing the, the gaping wound under my eye, I knew that I couldn't fix it myself. I needed help. Like I could just put a little Band-Aid on it and just trust that it was going to heal okay. So I went to my doctor, you know, and they, they flushed that thing out. And clean, apparently dog's teeth are very, very dirty. So go to the doctor if you ever get bitten. They cleaned it out. They gave me a tetanus shot. They, they, they squeezed that thing together and put some glue on it so it wouldn't come back apart again. Yeah, now, l- listen, if I, if I was kind of a weirdo and I didn't have any mirrors at all in my house, well, I am a weirdo, but imagine if I was the kind of weirdo that didn't have any mirrors in my house. Now, just imagine if I was just like, hey, uh, I don't have a mirror in my house, so I'm just going to, I know that this feels really bad, this feels weird, there's a lot of blood dripping down on my shirt, but I'm just going to trust that it's going to heal on its own. What would have happened? probably would have gotten an infection because of dirty dog tooth. And uh, if I wouldn't have had that infection treated, that infection likely would have spread. I might have ended up in sepsis, and it could have actually killed me. Paul's saying that that mirror, much like the law, tells us what is wrong. But listen to me, that mirror, that law is powerless to heal us. It's powerless to heal. It can tell us What's wrong? It's a fantastic diagnostic tool, but it is powerless to heal us. That's where the gospel comes in. That's where Jesus steps in and he says, yeah, you're powerless to fix yourself. You are sin sick and you need healing. And I am that healing. I became a curse for you so that you could have life and freedom. So the question then is, well, does does the law, does the Old Testament, does it contradict grace? Does the Old Testament contradict the New Testament? And Paul's answer is absolutely not. The law, the old covenant, pointed us to the coming grace in Jesus. The law revealed to us our soul sickness in the same way that that mirror revealed to me that I had a huge gaping wound on my face so that we would be ready to embrace the cure when Jesus showed up. See, this whole thing, this whole book is about Jesus. The law, the prophets, the old prophecies, all of it. It points us to our brokenness and the cure, and that cure is Jesus. The cure in the Old Testament, Paul says, Jesus. The cure in the New Testament, Jesus. The cure in your life, the cure to your problems, Jesus. 100 years when everybody in this room is dead and gone, the cure for our grandkids and their problems is still going to be Jesus. It's all about Jesus, this whole thing, Old Testament, New Testament, it all points to Christ. He is our hope. He is the cure to our soul sickness. I want to invite you just for a moment to to bow your heads as the band comes up. We're going to celebrate in just a minute this gospel of grace, what we like to call the simple gospel. This gospel that the entire Old Testament was pointing us to, the law was pointing us to, and we're going to celebrate it in a tangible way as we take the cracker and we take the juice. We think about Jesus' body broken for us. We think about his blood poured out to cover our sins, my sin, your sin. Before we do that, I just want to share one thought with you, and I want to ask you to consider this. Because here's my concern. My concern is that for many of us, we have made a lethal error. For many of us, we have connected the gospel with the law, like they're one and the same. So many of us have thought, man, following Jesus means that I have to obey the law perfectly. 
And if I can't obey the law perfectly, then I can't, I can't follow Jesus. He's not going to love me. And I want you to hear me. The law is weighty. The law is, is terrifying. And it was intended to be because it was intended to point our attention and our affection to Jesus. And for most of us, it doesn't take us very long to figure out in our lives that we cannot keep the law very well. And so I'm convinced that there are a lot of people out there, maybe even some of you in this room this morning, and your thought has been, man, I cannot keep all of those rules. I'm not very good at not lying. I'm not very good at not lusting. I'm not very good at not loving other things more than God. And so God must not love me, and so I cannot follow Jesus. I can't be a Christian. And if that's you, I would just say to you this morning, of course you can't keep all the rules. Of course you can't. That was the whole point of the law, to show you that you couldn't and that you needed Jesus. Jesus sets us free from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Some of you have been fighting and you have been struggling and you have been trying to clean up your act for so long, trying to be a better person so that somehow, some way, one day God would accept you and he would love you. And God says to you this morning in Jesus, through his blood, through the pain, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to fight anymore. Jesus says in the Gospels, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friend, do you need rest this morning? Are you tired? Tired of fighting and pressing and pushing to be accepted by other people and accepted by God? Jesus says to you this morning, come to me. Come to me, find rest in me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Friend, Jesus paid the price. Trust in him, believe in him, give yourself to him. If that's you, I would just encourage you after we sing in just a moment, come up and talk to me. I'm gonna be up here, there's gonna be other prayer counselors up here. If you don't have time, fill out a connect card and drop it off at the Next Steps booth. We'll connect this week, but don't leave here if you have questions. If you're not sure, you're standing before God. The answer to what you're seeking is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. So before we come to the table, we're gonna have a time of guided prayer and we're just gonna spend a couple of minutes getting our hearts right before the Lord, before we come to the table to celebrate that Jesus has freed us from the curse of the law by shedding his precious blood to cover our sins. And so I want you to look up if you're bowed just for a minute, and I'm gonna read a prayer to you from an old book of prayer. And so I want you just to make this the prayer of your heart as I, as I read it to you. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought in word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.